So today we're talking about hunger. Um, and there are a lot of ways to unpack hunger. Um, obviously there's like a physical component and there's like a, an emotional component and also a sexual component. <laughs> so, um, Lisa, I'm just wondering in your mind, like how do you construct hunger, uh, when you're thinking about hunger as a way that people operate? So uh, the reason I've been thinking about hunger is because I've been thinking about how hunger works as an ideology that organizes culture and how it organizes bodies. And so that's one way, and I'm going to talk about that a bunch. And then I've also been thinking about it as a physical drive and the way that we talk about hunger as a physical need, right? So I've been thinking a lot about the relationship between food and sex and the way that they are articulated as vectors of gender and race and class and the way that we understand appetite for things, um, if I can gloss Guns and Roses, appetites for destruction, um, but also appetite as consumption under neoliberal capitalism, right? I've been thinking a lot about, you know, the drive to consume as expressed as appetite. Um, and I guess I've been thinking about it a lot because I feel like a lot of people roll up on me. I call it drive-by gender talk, and they just like hem me up in bathrooms and on the streets and in bars and stuff. And they want it. They don't know what they want to say, but what they want from me is to talk about appetite and why they're drinking or why they won't eat or why they are so hungry for intangible things. Mostly, I think intimacy. And we talk about intimacy a lot on the podcast because I think that's one of the foods that in the U.S., especially right now, people are not getting enough of. They're not getting close human contact. They're not getting um, that kind of really deep connection that builds long, thick, interesting connections around, you know, non-reproductive stuff, right? So around idea work or around, you know, breaking barriers or around liberation or around the stuff of freedom. I think mostly people are not doing that. So I've been thinking a lot about ideology and then appetite. What have you been thinking about? As I Because I basically just screamed at Laura, I want to talk about hunger. Do you have ideas about hunger? And she's like, I have some ideas about hunger. So what have you been thinking about? I think about hunger as like a very base human need that lacks contemplation. And so when you're like responding to hunger, you are responding to like base human needs and almost like in an animal sense mm -hmm. and you don't have a lot of like contemplation and when you do like exert control over hunger it's extreme like it it's like uh, extreme dieting mm -hmm. or extreme emotional control I mean it takes over your entire life you know so hunger is like the hardest, one of the hardest parts of your like base animal instincts to control. Because when you do, like when you're dieting, I mean, it takes over your entire life. I mean, it requires like immense concentration. And if you're talking about emotional hunger, like sexual appetite, you know, like emotional desire, I mean, that takes over, over your life as well. And so when I think about hunger, I think about like, how hard it is to control. In my mind, I feel like hunger is an expression of lack 
and it's an expression of austerity, right? So it's this barren landscape of not getting what the drive wants, right? So, and I think that the response to that is almost always hyper, hyper control. And so dieting is a good example. If you look at the ads around dieting, let's say from the 40s on, really always, but from the 40s, the print ads are really interesting. They're all about willpower, so that becomes the key term and understand, and they're all obviously targeted at women. So it's like, okay, so you need to exert willpower. And I wish, I wish this were like class. I was thinking, oh my gosh, they would love my slideshow because I'm like, here are all these ads for like ice cream and sugar. And it's like, if you eat the sugar now, you will not overeat later right so do a capitalist thing and then you can control your body for longer and withhold other stuff from yourself so there's also like a relational aspect to the self that i think hunger um asks for us to be only in dialogue in ourselves one of the earlier episodes we, we talk a lot about alienation and narcissism but i think hunger is a space where narcissism really anchors itself just as laura was saying like the the mood to constantly articulate the body as hungry and empty and you know austere is a 24 7 calibration of all of the senses to do that one thing which is an, a, an, a relationship with oneself so for me I guess people roll up on me all the time wanting to talk about their sex lives which is interesting sometimes and also terrible sometimes but mostly but the thing that they all have in common is that they're not having enough sex or they're not having the sex that they want or they are mistaking closeness for intimacy or they're mistaking sex for intimacy and so for me I'm in thinking about dieting and thinking about what I have been calling sexual anorexia where people um, either do not indulge in sex or then they binge in the sex that they don't want to try and stave off intimacy. These are like behaviors that we are enacting with ourselves as a way of managing the anxiety of a lack of connection. And so I think it happens around food and I think it happens around sex and I think it happens around emotional connection but you know, but when it intersects with capitalism then it becomes ideology it becomes a regime of discipline on the body. I think a lot of um, the way that women especially live comes from a standpoint of deprivation. Like it's not appropriate for women to express hunger or appetite. And it's appropriate for women to make themselves small. It's appropriate for women to be subservient and not like have needs of their own and to accept that they are supposed to meet other people's needs or desires. And so I think like, it's interesting to consider hunger as like a point of, especially when we're considering women, uh, the standpoint of uh, women um, as a point of deprivation because I don't think women are allowed to like express their entire, they're not allowed to express their entire appetite. Yeah, and I also feel like the culture of overwork that we're living in is also a source of what drives um, the incredible austerity through which we're putting ourselves and our bodies through. It's like, okay, well, all of my energy is going to work and the only way I can manage like the actual labor itself, but then all of the apparatus of anxiety that comes with it is to over-invest in myself for some like future point that never arrives. The, the, the other part of that, I think, is like how 
romantic culture or dating is evolving in this like high speed tech world. So I've been thinking a lot about um, the way in which we ask our partners to be our everything. Like, I want you to be my best friend, and I want you to be my lover, and I want you to be my work buddy, and we're going to work out too, and we're going to vacation, we're going to be together all the time. And that is not how, like, relations have been, <laughs> like, for the whole of human history. So we're in this moment where we're asking unprecedented levels of work from a romantic partner, and then you can just keep swiping for a new person. So then there's unprecedented choice. And I think that creates like a surplus and demand issue that mirrors capitalism where there's just, it, it seems like there's this huge possibility, right? Like you go to Whole Foods, like you could have anything you want and really you're still going to eat the same four things that you like to eat. And then you're going to eat them every single day, right? And so what do we do with like all of this unprecedented choice and then this huge crushing weight of labor how do we make sense of that in terms of what our actual desires are? There's no there's no mechanism to articulate desire except through the vector of hunger, which has become, I think, an ideology of the body. I mean, I think we also have to acknowledge that a lot of the labor that goes into meeting people's desires falls on uh, women. Mm -hmm. And so you're not able to, like, have the same kind of desire for, like, a home-cooked meal if you're the person who's in, in charge of preparing it and like in charge of all the labor involved and in making sure that meal. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, how many people cook and then it's like, I don't even want to eat this because I just spent six hours making this thing. So, right. I mean, that's real. So and in some it? cases it's not even appropriate. Like I, I mean, I have a grandmother for the entire morning prepare uh, a family meal and not even be interested in eating it because her entire desire was to prepare food for someone else. And so, I mean, and of course she was hungry. Didn't feel like she was capable of admitting that kind of desire. But also, there's a relationship between hunger and martyrdom. There is a relationship between hunger and sacrifice that is totally gendered and about certain bodies. And so, in, at least when we're talking about food, that's gendered female. But if we're talking about consuming race, then the consumer is white. With The hunger is for white gays on black, brown bodies, mostly in pain. And so we go see movies about it, and white people listen to music about it, and there is a hunger for, you know, in Axel's words, there's an appetite for destruction that is feeding whiteness that is part of the apparatus of whiteness that has to be constantly fed it's like feed me see more feed me right keep feeding whiteness this steady diet of black and brown pain and that's what makes whiteness real so so yes if we're thinking about food i think you know food culture insofar as it's you know americanized in lots of different spaces regardless of the race the gendering of it is pretty apparent for the most part Part, right but if we if we intersect that with race then i think that the appetites shift wildly into a terrain that white folks don't think about but that fundamentally feeds their sense of identity i mean we have to talk about bodies for a second because i mean hunger is manifested sometimes in how bodies are presented a dad bod is acceptable and even like desirable or sexy and that's kind of an identifying uh factor of that where hunger plays a role um but women are chastised uh <laughs> judged for even like any kind of lapse in 
uh, a maintenance of their figure. So uh, there's definitely like a double standard that we should be talking about in terms of like physical presentation. But I mean, hunger presents itself in a lot of other ways, like in how people are manifesting, you know, their desire. Like women are very repressed. I mean, yes, okay. no, if that's what you were <laughs> that's actually looking for. But right, <laughs> <Okay>. exactly, right. <laughs> so a lot of desire is like directed towards like family mm. building and that doesn't necessarily represent the desires of the individual yeah i mean part of that is the sacrifice martyr stuff and then part of it i think is about the way that we conceptualize love and so i said to somebody the other day we were talking about unconditional the idea of unconditional love and i said look the way that i think people conceptualize love is dog love or mom love so men in particular expect to be loved like their moms love them. Somebody's going to do your underwear and buy it for you. And somebody's going to make sure you're fed. And somebody's going to manage your sads. Somebody's going to care about whatever's going on at your job. It's exhausting, right? Or it's dog love, right, where the dog has, like, got a little pea brain and just loves you all the time, just wants to go out for a run. Okay, those are, that's how, like, half of the culture conceptualizes love. So when women start to, like, get trained how to love, especially within the heterosexual paradigm, then they are providing food and buying underwear and smothering the shit out of their partners, right? Because they are being asked to perform mom love, dog love. So that's not peer love. That's not peer care. That's not peer intimacy. That's not, and it's also still within dyad, right? There's no possibility to build out beyond, right, what kind of busted stuff you saw from your parents. And so you're right, Laura, in the sense that there is a total gendering of, of hunger as a corollary of care. But the other thing that you said I thought that was useful is thinking about food in particular and how um, the way that white bodies in particular right now are depicted as being beautiful as being starved right starvation is beauty that's really crazy right to see a bunch of images of people who are near death right who are literally not eating enough to survive be the foundation for beauty standards and desirability for an entire culture the con literature and communication is really interesting because if you ask dudes right in the heterosexual paradigm what are you into they'll tell you i like bigger women but then they all try and go for giselle bunchen and it's like okay so they have a totally like outrageous sense of what they what they can get <laughs> And it's also not even what they're actually attracted to. So that's the way in which I think hunger has become this ideology that is really warping the way that we are pursuing desire as a way of filling actual hungers. Like it's not what we actually want, even when we know it, we're not doing that thing. We're like fundamentally not. Instead, we're doing just general cultural scripts, right, that are really repressive and unequal. In some ways, like depriving yourself is a like a symbol of competence, oh, yeah. like a a val yes. value. <laughs> um, it's kind of terrible because, I mean, like I think a lot of people, um, they spend time um, pretending like they don't have needs that they have, right? Um, because they don't have access to them or like having access to them is excessive. And so it's like a sign of value or like have lack if you're a woman, especially. Women aren't permitting themselves to have 
food or <laughs> um, a life, you know, they're like committing themselves to a structure that keeps them confined and like prefers that they don't have interests or values. But I also think there's a relationship between hunger and trauma. So, for example, you know, in the in some of the gender work that I do, I see a lot of victims of sexual violence who become anorexics or bulimics as a way of managing the anxiety of post-traumatic stress in a way that the sex and the food go together around appetite and ideology. So I see that a lot. I also see um, victims of neglect, like emotional neglect and or extreme bullying with very low self-esteem about body image, also overeating and undersexing. So that I, I, those go to So that's what has sort of propelled me in the last couple of weeks is thinking about what does it mean to have lived with emotional neglect, neglect or trauma, the loss of a parent very young, homelessness, um, food insecurity, violence. How does that manifest in adult people and managing desires? And what happens if you give in to those desires on the other side of trauma? Like, what happens when you begin to feel pleasure? So there's, like, a survivor's guilt that comes with being a trauma survivor who can express pleasure later in life, and there's no way to talk about that in the culture. There's no access to cultural scripts to heal that. And so people do what a, what a narcissistic capitalist culture does to survive, and that's to go inward and to hyper-control and hyper-patrol and manage the body and manage the needs and produce the dominant script as a way of trying to survive what is fundamentally unresolved trauma. It's difficult because a lot of folks just don't have the resources yes to express their desires and also like i mean there aren't a lot of opportunities to be like uh express your individual individuality in the uh, capitalist structure so um i think again that if we're talking about hunger and appetite a lot of times you just have to reorient your desire to like what is possible in the current structure and not like what actually feeds your desire. Yeah, I think it's we have a lack of imagination around desire, which is why it's why people default to scripts about hunger. But I think about Instagram a lot and how people use it and as a space of hunger. And so uh, Northwest Arkansas is one of the top places for food insecurity in the entire country. So I always get freaked out when people Instagram food because it is such an expression of class. And it's also about, I, I'm, I'm interested in how people like selfie or Instagram portion size and how infrequently they selfie or take pictures of dessert and how they curate or don't curate a sexual self in public. I mean, Instagram is a very interesting visual space to think about how people are trying to map their interest in but mostly aversion to expressions of public desire. Uh, but in a space that is so food insecure, it strikes me as really gauche and irresponsible for people who do food insecurity stuff to selfie food. I feel differently about booze because I, I drink cheap beer and so that's like 
like common man's shit and so I feel like it, somehow it's different for me but that could just be because I'm not a foodie but also people ask me all the time like especially when I travel it's like where do you want to go oh my gosh we're gonna we're gonna make this whole trip about food and I'm like I just think that's super weird it strikes me as extremely strange not because I don't understand how food marks memory Right? I get how food becomes part of your personal history. But as a way of orienting all of the time that you spend in a, in a different place, to organize it around food also seems to fall into this um, conversation that we're having about hunger. And it also speaks, I think, to alienation. Like, if I selfie my food, I feel connected to a place and less alienated and then people can see that and then I feel connected to them through the internet and then I won't feel so alienated. But obviously not because then you did it 900 more times in the last two days. So, right? But I mean, just think about your own Instagram accounts and the ones that you follow and how people use food there or sex there as a way of connecting to or disavowing from desire. I mean, I think you're hitting on a, a point that social media has taken advantage of in the last few years our hunger um as it relates to like our body is also connected to our need for attention yes Mm -hmm. i mean uh if you're posting on twitter or instagram presumably you're interested in achieving some kind of some of your followers people you know or you're like presumably trying to achieve some kind of attention I mean, you make a post, and within 30 minutes, it's buried. Like, if someone doesn't see it in 30 minutes, like, it's gone. Like, it's extremely difficult to receive any kind of attention. But I also just feel like when I see the food posts, I'm like, you are sexually hungry. Like, you, nobody's fucking you. Like, I mean, seriously, like, that's what I see when I see all the food pictures, is this is an articulation of existential hunger. Right? Where the food is not really the object of the thing. Maybe you love creme brulee so much. I don't know why it's disgusting. But anyway, maybe that's your thing. But, but for me, I read those things as a text about, about intimacy and sex and not really about the food and the body. Right? Because most of the people that are posting on my feed are not food insecure. Right? So I don't think it's about the food. Do you see what I'm saying? Also, I think one of the reasons why I get sign up, freaked out about foodies is that I'm not hungry. <laughs> you know, I don't seem perceive myself as somebody who's driven by th- this unmet hunger, right? So I think it's very, for me, it's very alien to to arrange one's life around these food moments that mark the whole time that people spend together because I'm more interested in the conversation and like the randomness and the encounters and the non-planning and the contingency. And as Laura, I think you pointed out, hunger is about control and I don't want the control. I want the contingency. I want the risk. I want the randomness. You know what I'm saying? Hunger doesn't allow for that in the same way it doesn't allow for pleasure in some ways it's like a a lonely emotion Uh, you know it's like hunger isn't something you can like necessarily share with other people yeah (laughs) totally that's true so like if you're hungry that's an experience that you have to handle on your own uh and also like making posts about food is kind of a lonely experience it's like a kind of like cry for attention like about your base desires like i was hungry at this moment and i ate this food and like please someone also 
acknowledge that they were also hungry and would like to eat this food too. <laughs> well, and I was thinking about people who freak out about eating alone, right? You, yeah, you're laughing because you're those people. I see you, right? You don't like to be eat. You don't like to eat alone. You don't go out to eat by yourself. You, you feel judged if you're eating by yourself. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like there's a, some sort of like you know panopticon constantly watching you. That, oh, God forbid, somebody finds out that you ate, right? What is that about? But that's a pervasive that's a pervasive feeling, especially in the U.S., that somehow it's not cool to eat by yourself. That is also seems like a very, very perverse engagement with hunger that you're supposed to eat in community with the gender roles. You can't eat by yourself. If you do eat by yourself, you should be constantly patrolling yourself. You shouldn't take any pleasure in it, but if you do put it on the internet, it just seems like a lot of rules is what I'm saying to manage the hunger and it's and the way that it interacts with other people. You know, I love to eat alone and I do it a lot, but I do actually have a lot of guilt about it because I think there are a lot of narratives like about how you should never eat lunch alone. Like it's an opportunity to like network. network. And so I'm an introvert. And so I take like immense pleasure actually in eating alone. But I actually feel like immense guilt because I'm like, well, I could have like asked a friend or I could have like made a connection. I, it's weird that like networking or like eating is a point of connection. It's like a communion like every meal that you can have is a, a potential communion. Like there's kind of a religious, like eating it has kind of like a religious connotation to it. Don't you think? <laughs> like every meal is like a communion. I mean, I know, I don't think that at all because I'm an extrovert and I'm like, I need fuel or I'm gonna fall asleep. And so I will literally, I, I am a habit eater. I eat the same thing for months at a time. I decide I like it. I'm going to eat it until I don't ever want to see it again. I'm a habit eater. I'm a creature of habit. I don't want to spend any intellectual energy thinking about the meal or the experience of the meal or figure or, or managing meal prep. I, I mean, it makes me want to just smash my own face and I hate it. I loathe it. It is so banal to me. It is not interesting. It is very rare that I've had a transcendent meal. You know, I don't, I just cannot care about it at all. So it is possible that my critique of hunger is based in my own gross lack of interest in food culture. Um, but I, but I, and, but I also like to eat alone. I don't have that, like I need to be driven to commune right now. Mostly because every time I'm out, I'm communing all the time, constantly communing, right, as a teacher. So I don't need that social, you know, from the food. But, but, you know, part of it I think is about, um, just the hyper awareness that people have about having consumption be a visible presence about the way that they take up social space. So whether that's on the internet or when you're eating alone at a restaurant or whether you're with other people altogether, it just seems to me that there's something about the visibility of the feeding of the hunger that is important in the West. I think we've been talking a lot about how hunger is a difficulty or an obstacle but i also think hunger is like so ingrained in us that we can eat i think it can be like a positive influence at times like being satiated all the time is like a capitalist impulse that i don't think is necessarily productive i think hunger like drives people to create i think hunger is like an instinctual positive function for humans. 
I don't know that I totally disagree, but I mean, since we're leaning the hell back, I also feel like there's a lean inside to hunger. Like, ooh, do you want to get that VP position? Just lean in. Are you hungry enough for it? If you're hungry enough for it, you'll get it. Which is hyper masculine and corporate and lean inny. And I don't, I don't like that at all. Mostly because I, I, I'm very skeptical of achievement. I think it's weird. Um, it's, I, that's a weird thing, I suppose, for me to say. Except that I don't know. There are always other things to be trying and doing. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it's like there's always other new stuff to try. But I don't know that hunger in and of itself being hungry, so long as it is you know, a part of a process that one chooses, okay, fine. But I think a bunch of the hunger that we talked about is not by choice, is by, you know, is imposed. So maybe if we make that distinction, like imposed hunger is problematic because it creates repression and trauma and then a bunch of compensatory mechanisms to feed that are probably unhealthy. That's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation is hunger that one cultivates in oneself towards creative ends and collaboration and those sorts of things. That seems to me to be very reasonable. I'm, I'm thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like that involves a lot of hunger. Like your ability to just like meet your own needs is about like satisfying hunger. I don't know what you would do <laughs> if you weren't hungry because then you wouldn't like be able to secure food and shelter and like meet your own basic needs. I suppose so, but I mean, I, I just don't think that that's really. I don't think that that's really where the conversation is in the un United States, and that's why I was thinking about food insecurity. Like in a culture this rich, and with the rich poor gap being so wide, and with there being so much money here. Why do we still have people that are dying because of hunger, right? So for me, like with the mass, the relationship between abundance and lack in the United States is what is fucking us through hunger. Like that is the problem is that there's so much abundance on one side and then also so much lack both layered into that abundance. I mean, I'm thinking about Trump, right? That guy's entire childhood was around abundance in terms of material stuff and then massive emotional lack completely you ever hear him talk about his mom no no you do not ever hear him discuss his mom she's a complete and total absence that is a lack right even beyond the freudians they would say it's a lack so it's like what do we do with the material overabundance and then the austerity inside especially as it pertains to white masculinity especially as it pertains to capital it seems to me that we're living in this moment right where we're seeing the 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 confluence of rapid um, divestment from the middle and, and the lower classes into white masculinity as a reaction to brownness and as a reaction to affirmative action the way that it has disproportionately helped white women and as a reaction to LGBTQ rights and then what happens to everybody else is all that stuff gets sucked up into the white man sphere and then they can't connect. So they become these tiki torch wielding angry neo-Nazi fuckers who take up all this public space and wreck everything for the rest of us. I mean, that is, and then all of the white women that support them, right, who are both benefiting and being destroyed by the relationship between hunger and appetite for whiteness and the hunger and, and, and appetite for, for heteromasculinity. And so you're, I don't disagree with you that, that, that being hungry keeps us alive, but the way that I think that it's structuring public culture right now is a way that's super super unhealthy and we need other ways to talk about what's happening with whiteness and what and white masculinity and i do think that it has to do with lack 
I think it has to do with an austere culture that doesn't allow men to feel. I think it's an austere culture that doesn't allow women to want. I mean, think about how many times we talk on the podcast about when women tell, when, when men tell women, you're needy, you're too much, right? I mean, there's this whole script about these, you know, the overabundance of women's feelings or thoughts or them taking up too much space. All of that seems eminently connected to hunger for me. I mean, yeah, we can't have this conversation without talking about uh, wealth. But recently, the United States stock market has experienced the most growth it's ever experienced. It's the longest period of a bull market. And that's an interesting thing that's been like reported in the news because like most of the people who are invested in the stock market are already rich. <laughs> so, I mean, like the financial health of the United States, the way that it's reported most of the time, even if it's like GDP or if it's the stock market, it really only relates to like a very small percentage of people who have investments and uh, almost no one else. And so it's just like a really weird measure. I don't know. It, it's interesting because you're talking about abundance and lack and Hunger for me is is important because wealth isn't an option for a lot of people. And I think hunger is like an important drive uh, for folks who don't have access to a lot of material. I mean, I think for wealth. me, where the rubber meets the road is the fact that people are chasing wealth that they'll never get. And they don't learn how to fill the lack from internal resources or resources that they can build in their community that creates solidarity. So uh, it's not that I don't I don't think people should be hungry to achieve more than the culture allows them to, but the fact that the culture it tells them that they can achieve it, right? This bullshit liberalism, like you know, if you just work hard enough, blah blah blah, your merit, blah blah blah. That is a snow job that creates a funhouse illusion that people have where they think that they're going to be able to achieve. And I tell this to my students all the time, like, none of you are going to be on the Supreme Court. You are not going to serve in the U.S. Congress. You're not going to be president. It's not available to you. You didn't get the right pedigree. You don't come from the right family. You did not matriculate with the wealthy ruling class. It is not in your future, period. You can't get out of that. There's no way to work around that for, for just about everybody that we know. So what do we make about that to have these desires for things that are fundamentally, structurally unattainable? That, I think, also does a kind of damage to people that is very traumatic, but, but it happens so gradually and it's so constant. It's omniscient. It's everywhere all the time. It's exerting itself on bodies. It becomes very hard to describe it and pinpoint it. It becomes mystified. So for me, I guess the takeaway in thinking about hunger is in thinking about the way in which we choose lack as a familiar way of managing the anxiety of futures we can't imagine. So I think that's probably not healthy. Sacrifice is probably um, a bad model, <laughs> right, for relating to others. Not so much as it's describing the way that you give of yourself freely, right, to a culture with the expectation that you're giving of yourself freely, but the part where you just allow your yourself to be taken and taken and taken and taken with nothing back is bad, right? So asymmetry is probably not the healthiest model in a culture that is structured so asymmetrically around class. And I think that paying attention to lack in the way that it's structured
structures, gender and race in particular, is very important because the people who have the most are often experiencing a tremendous amount of emotional lack. That, the Dalai Lama is interesting because he goes down and hangs out with George W. Bush, and they trade jokes. And so the Dalai Lama tells jokes about like the religious personalities on Earth, and he'll be like, I got a Pope joke for you. And so he'll tell jokes about the Pope. And then George W. Bush will tell jokes about politicians. And then they have lemonade, and the Dalai Lama rolls out, and he's just like, he's a young man. He's a young soul, right? And he just laughs because, like, there's no realm in which the Dalai Lama and George W. Bush are connecting emotionally at all. <laughs> the best that they can do is tell jokes about the kind of prestige that they both enjoy in the country. Do you see how that's about a recognition of lack, that they are not in the same sort of emotional space? I just think that people don't have a sense about how to describe their own desires, and that leads them into to cultures of lack that don't get us to the kind of hunger that can be creative or productive for, for a lot of people. I mean, people's desires are generally based on cultural narratives. Like the American Bar Association has been recommending for the last five years that people do not go to law school. Like, do not go to law school. <laughs> there are no jobs. There are no right. jobs. Yeah, it's like a waste of money and time. And people do it anyway. They're still going to law school because, like, they grew up just thinking, like, I'm going to be a lawyer. And people, like, grow up and they go to medical school and they're like, I'm going to be a doctor. And there are a lot of fucking terrible doctors right now because people just grew up or their parents told them they should be a doctor and the hours are garbage <laughs> and they're not personable. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, it's a train wreck. Right. And so, but it, like, they personally didn't desire to be a doctor. It's just, like, how they constructed what other people thought they should be. Or, like, some kind of construction about what they thought they wanted to do, but it wasn't based on their own, like, personal desire. Yeah, and so I guess, you know, as, as we sort of wrap up this episode, I'm thinking a lot about what it takes to teach people to imagine new futures that don't lock them into scripts that reinforce lack and austerity as the only way to manage abundance that they have no access to. And I guess, for me, I'm interested in thinking through, maybe in the Q&A and certainly as we hang out, you know, about um, how austerity and ideologies of hunger really undermine participatory democracy in its most utopian vector as, like, social cohesion as solidarity as liberation as freedom because i think while there is a potential to be able to harness hunger you know laura as you have been talking about i think far too often we succumb to an inability to name and actualize desire not just on our own but but with other people right and in the communalism that is the best part of eating a good meal right or having the best sex Thanks for listening. These materials are not endorsed, approved, sponsored, or provided by or on behalf of the University of Arkansas Fayetteville.